Well, this evening I'd like to go uh, back to the Old Testament once again in uh, Numbers chapter 35. And I uh, love going to the Old Testament and, and finding a scripture back there and, and uh, seeing how it is important for us today, teaching us today, and certainly then go to the New Testament that reveals the Old Testament. But uh, in Numbers chapter 35, and uh, I'm going to read several scriptures here. I hope it's not boring to you. It's uh, certainly not uh, to me, but it is Old Testament scripture. Uh, it was for Israel, God's elect people. And, but we want to see, well, how does this apply for us today? This is whenever they was uh, coming out of uh, uh, the bondage of Egypt, of course, and the years of wandering in, in the Red Sea, and as getting ready to go over the Jordan over into the land of promise, and here some instructions or commandments uh, for Israel. And again, we want to, our goal is to see, well, what's it, what's it teaching us? What's the blessing in it for us? So Numbers chapter 35, and let's go all the way back to verse 9. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are come over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee there who killeth any person unintentionally or unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge, for the avenger, that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities, which ye shall uh, give, six cities shall, uh, shall, have for, shall ye have for refuge. You shall give three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities shall ye give in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone who killeth any person unintentionally or unawares may flee there. So what this is, is, is saying here, as we would look at it uh, from Israel's uh, point of view, they would set up these cities that if someone uh, would kill someone uh, unintentionally or, or whatever, uh, then his relatives would have the right to come and if they could track you down and kill you, then that was their legal right and almost duty to do that. But there was these cities that they would flee, flee to and that was a city of refuge, a place of refuge. And then there's uh, some... Uh, uh, guidelines uh, on that as well. So in verse 16, and he smite him with an instrument of iron, and David, there's iron again, we've got to study on that, don't we? Uh, and if he uh, smite him with an instrument of iron, so that he die, he is a murderer, and a murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer, that murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he smite him with a hand uh, weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. So that's the, the relative of the person that was killed. Then the avenger of blood would be a relative, and he would go, it would be his duty or his right to kill this person. But if he thrust him from hatred or hurl at him by lying in wait that he die, or an empty smite him with his hand that he die, he that smote him shall surely be put to death, for he is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him. But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, or have cast upon him anything without lying in wait, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him, that he die, it was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the avenger of blood according to these ordinances. 
And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, to which he was fled. And he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the slayer shall not at any time, or, but if the slayer shall at any time come outside the border of the city of his refuge, to which he was fled, and the avenger of blood find him outside the borders of the city of his refuge, and the avenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. So he's in that city of refuge. He's safe in there. Uh, it talks about stays there until the death of the, of the priest and so forth. But if he, goes, if he goes outside that place of safety, if he goes outside that refuge, uh, then uh, he, well, he's no longer under the safety of that refuge. He's left that safety. Uh, 27, I think I read that. But, and the avenger of blood find him outside the borders of the city of his refuge. And the avenger of blood kill the slayer. He shall not be guilty of blood. Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return to the land of his possession. So these things shall be for a statute of judgment unto you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And we'll... We'll stop there. Uh, we certainly will not exhaust uh, this uh, this evening. There's many, many, many more teachings and things in here. But we'd like to ask, where is your place of refuge? And maybe ask another question, do you need a place of refuge? I uh, I think of it often. A lady has been, it's probably been 10 or 15 years ago now, and we was talking, and she says, I'm above reproach. And she didn't mean through Christ or anything like that. She meant that she was such a good person, she was above reproach. That in itself is sin and certainly needs a place of refuge. But I, I think of that often when I see scriptures like this. So do, where is your place of refuge? Do you need a place of refuge? We understand the Old Testament. We see uh, there was a place of refuge and so forth. We see the security and safety in that place of refuge. But uh, does it mean anything to us today? So I'd like to go uh, through some of the treasuries of the Psalms. And uh, not any in-depth study, but, but a few of the Psalms and the treasuries that are hidden there for us and see where the psalmist refuge was. Not always relating to a particular city of refuge, but yet refuge, a place of safety, a place to a place to run to, a place where you trust there is safety, there is refuge. So let's read a few Psalms. Psalms 9, uh, we'll start out with that. And my Bible actually just Flipped open right to that exact page. I like it when that happens. <laughs> Psalms 9 and verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they who know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. So this is not speaking particularly of a city of refuge, but it is talking about the psalmist says that he, he trusts uh, in God for his refuge and a place where the oppressed would go in times of trouble. In other words, 
go to the Lord. He's our refuge. Uh, not look, certainly not look to ourselves. And, and I like this scripture. It says, uh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In other words, not standing, if we look at the city of refuge, not standing outside and say, well, I'll fend for myself, but realizing I can't fend for myself in this city of refuge. I'm weak, but there I am strong. Whenever we realize we can't do it, we can't defend ourselves, uh, then we're looking and seeking for something else. And, of course, it's God that calls us to come to that place. To come... From the place where the lady says, well, I'm above reproach. To come from that place to a place that I need refuge. That's where God leads us and, and takes us. Uh, I don't know if I read verse 10 or not. And they who know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. Those who know him and knows his name there knows that this is, that he is a place of refuge. And again, we can see it in the Old Testament scriptures, of course, but we can see it here, uh, the, the psalmist. And let's go to Psalms 44. And, and the Psalms are just full of treasures. Psalms 44. And again, might not be speaking specifically about a city of refuge, but a place of refuge. Psalms 44, and start in verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in times of old. How thou didst drive out the nations with thy hand and plantest them and how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. Talking about whenever they went into the land of Canaan. Uh, you know, you remember when they was going to do that and they sent the spies in. And uh, the spies said, oh, there's giants in the land. We can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, hey, if the Lord's going to give it to us, he'll give it to us. But these giants or those people in, in that land of Israel... There's another scripture that says that uh, even our enemies are bred unto us. I was looking yesterday as I was mowing grass. Got one place we call it the Rose House Shelter and had landscaping on both sides of it. Had a rose garden behind it, kind of all grown up now. And I had, a, I think, a pink dogwood on each end of the uh, Rose Shelter House. And uh, they both, or no, there was, it was flowering crabapple trees. And they both died. But on the right side, there's a walnut tree now. Our squirrels, we were talking about squirrels earlier. Our squirrels, we have walnuts, and they like to, well, they're not planting them. They're just putting them there to eat in the winter and everything. But this walnut tree, I'm talking about how fast things grow up. I was looking yesterday. This walnut tree, which was a weed, weed is a plant out of place, it's probably... 75 feet tall. <laughs> it was a weed. <laughs> but I hate to cut a walnut tree down, so it's, it's still there. But if God had cleared out all the enemies for Israel, as small as they was, the land would have been grown up and everything. But yet they went in, farmland, vineyards, everything was there for them. So, uh, But anyway, the Lord drove the enemies out. Now, they, Israel would have to fight. They'd have to go to battle. But it was still, the psalmist here still realizes it was the Lord that did that battle. Uh, three, for they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But by thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverance for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. 
But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame who hate us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. So he said, I won't trust in my bow nor my sword or anything like that. And all through there, the psalmist was giving the Lord the honor and glory and the praise and the, and the credit. How we didn't get the land. It was the Lord that gave it to us. So we can see the psalmist here constantly trusting in the Lord for his refuge in times of trouble for everything. We, by God's grace, he causes us to run to him, to seek him. No, we would never seek him, but he causes us to seek him. Uh, so we trust in the Lord, not ourselves. The scripture says, uh, uh, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. We don't trust in this old thing. Psalms 57 and again, I, I love, the, of course, the Psalms is full of this, but I love these treasuries in, in Psalms showing where our trust should be and where the psalmist's trust was. Again, not speaking specifically about a city of refuge, but a refuge in God. Psalms 57 and, and 1. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul... Trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge, and so these calamities be passed by. And our pastor, Brother Don, would teach along this line and talking about the, uh, uh, the biddies running under the wing uh, of the hens and so forth for, for protection. And uh, actually, I saw some kind of a documentary today or something like that, and there was some quail and the chicks and they was running there for protection and everything but here be merciful to me O God for my soul trusts in thee not saying God I trust in you and you owe it to me the world looks at that a lot don't they they really do God owes it to you I, I heard one man one time he talked about you do all these things and when you go through the pearly gates God owes it to you. In other words, God's indebted to you. So when that's our thinking, we're not going to him for refuge. We're still looking at ourselves. And it's so easy to do. It's so, because, well, why is it so easy to do? Because that's our nature. That's the old nature that we trust in that. And it's God that calls to see. And so he said, be merciful to me. Don't, God, don't give me, and, and more reminds us in his prayer, uh, that he would reward us according to his mercy, or judge us according to his mercy, not according to our merit. And this is saying the same thing with just different words. But be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Are we trusting in God? Are we trusting in man? The lady that said she's above reproach, I know what she was trusting in, at least at that time. I, uh, in, the, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be passed by. So you can compare that with the cities of refuge. They had cities of refuge that God had set up, but still it was God, and this is God here. He, he, he would uh, uh, trust in God for his refuge. And uh, Psalms 59 And uh, verse 16. But I will sing of thy power. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep, this is on my mind. I keep going back to it. This lady was singing of her power. And I feel, your heart aches for people like that. It really does. It uh, but I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy. So we, we sing, we rejoice, we declare, we trust in his power. But also at the same time, I will sing aloud of thy mercy. Not 
God, protect me through your power because I deserve it. No, that's not it. It's not what the psalmist is trusting in. But I will sing of thy power, and I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For the Lord is my defense and the God of my mercy. And there, boy, there's just so much here. Uh, so we have another name for God here. And to thee, O oh my strength. And we should all see him in that light. And to thee, O oh my strength, he is our strength. But unto thee, O oh my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. So again, they had the city of refuge and so forth, but here we see the psalmist, what he trusts in, and we should be trusting in the same thing. He is our strength. He is our defense. And we go to him through his mercy, not, God, you owe it to me. God forbid that we'd ever say that God's indebted to us. That's what they're saying. God owes it to you. If you owe a bill or you owe something, you're kind of indebted. And, and when the man said, oh, when you get to the pearly gates, God owes it to you to let you in, indebted to you. Uh, how sad, how sad that is. Uh, Psalm 62. And uh, I remember studying this years ago, and, and uh, maybe we'll do it again before long. But uh, Psalm 62, starting in verse 1, and this is a... a uh, Scripture that Brother Carlos loves. And uh, speaking of that, when he would occasionally read the Scripture lesson, I was truly blessed to hear his voice, his words, read uh, a Scripture. I was truly, truly blessed. So this is one that I know that, that he loves. Psalm 62 and verse 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Again, does the world believe that? Do they have that comfort? We know, we're here this evening, by God's grace, calls us to know that our salvation cometh from Him. We have that comfort. We have that peace. We're in that place of refuge. The world, He hasn't given to them. From Him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. So he only, we need to see God as a refuge, but God is our only refuge. In him we live and, and move and have our being. Without him, we don't live, we don't move, we're not a being. So he only is my rock. People, they'll talk about Jesus and so forth. I've heard people say, well, Jesus done his part. That's up to you to do your part. What part is that? Offer up our righteousness? We know what that is. As I mentioned before, our part is being on the receiving end of his grace and mercy. That's our part. Don Hackney one time had uh, services and and uh, he got people's attention, and he taught his lesson. He said, there's only one thing for you to do. And he dismissed. And he walked out. And everybody would just, couldn't wait. What, what, you know, what do you mean? There's one thing for us to do. What do you mean? He says, enjoy it. We're on the receiving end of his grace and mercy. Okay, okay. Um, Verse 3, how long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a bowing uh, wall shall you be, and like a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, Selah. And we've studied on that before, like I said, I... We may look at that again sometime. This is those that are not trusting in God for refuge. 
And uh, so they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. So are people trying to overthrow God? They're, they're trying to cast him down from his excellency. Whenever they say, uh, I heard people say, well, God can't get to you there. You've got to come out of that. God can't get to you there. God can't? I don't know if those words should go together or not. But you're casting him down from his excellency. God wants everybody to be to heaven. But yet they're not. So is God a failure? Is Jesus a failure? If he wants everybody to be in heaven and yet they're not, see, they're in, in their ignorance, they're casting him down from his place of excellency. He is the most high God. So there's kind of two ways, uh, as I see it, that we might bring him down from his excellency. We don't bring him down, but with teaching. Bringing God down or lifting us up equal with God. And in both of them brings him down from his place of excellence. He's no longer the most high God. So they consult to bring him down. Whenever they uh, uh, point to you as your refuge, point to you as your salvation. So they were consulting to bring him down from his place of excellency. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. And again... These aren't mean people necessarily. People that hasn't had their eyes opened. He may never open their eyes. He may use you to open their eyes. But these are people, well, the scripture talks about uh, Christ uh, or Satan transformed, you know, like Christ and, and even his messengers as, as uh, messengers of Christ. So they're going to look like People that love and, and, and teach Jesus and God, but all the same time, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And, 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 and we see this a lot. They bless with their mouths. Oh, how much I love Jesus. Oh, Jesus is so good. But then they'll turn around and say, oh, but if you want to get to heaven based on what you do not based on what he did. So they bless with their mouth, but really they're cursing inwardly. Uh, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah, my soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. And there again, the psalmist saying, God's what I trust in. He is my refuge. He is my expectation. Those that consult to cast him down from his excellency are trusting in themselves. Man, being a free moral agent, get to heaven by our choices, our decisions, and our works. They're bringing him down, not giving him honor and glory for our refuge, for our salvation. But he says, after he says that in verse 4, then verse 5, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. For he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be, shall not be moved. So we can look at this again like the cities of refuge. But he only is my rock. Not... Well, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we had that bumper sticker a few years ago, uh, uh, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> and then the other bumper sticker, well, if God's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. But he only, I'm not a, we're a passenger. God's a pilot, we're a passenger. We're, we're, we're not a co-pilot, we're a passenger. On the receiving end of his grace and his mercy. And there I find comfort. Me being a pilot or a co-pilot with the salvation of my soul at risk, there's no comfort. There's no, there's no feeling of refuge there. But 
He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Trusting in the Lord, that's where our refuge, that's where our comfort is. So we can see the psalmist, uh, where they trusted in for their refuge. But again, what about us in this day and age? We saw for Israel that city refuge where they could run to and they were safe. And again, there's much more in that. We're not going to expound it this, this evening, and I don't know all of it. There's still much more there uh, for us to learn. But what about, what about today? Is our refuge in God? Has he provided a place of refuge? Or is it every man for himself? Every woman for themselves? So, of, of course, God is our refuge. But in what way? In what way? Through Jesus Christ and the price he paid on the cross. That's our refuge. Not, you know, some people look at Jesus Christ, and I'm not quoting this word for word, but I've heard it spoken I'll get as close as I can to what they said. Jesus Christ was a good man. And he came down here to walk a walk. And this walk, if you follow it, that's how he is your salvation. You walk his walk. So he came to uh, walk a walk. And, and you, if you follow his walk, then that's, that's the salvation. So there's people that, that say and believe that. Is that how Jesus Christ is your Savior? See, that's not, that's not he alone at all, is it? That's him doing his part and you doing your part. That's, that's what we hear a lot from the world. But God is my refuge through Jesus Christ. That's our refuge. That's our place of safety and security. Uh, we fell in Adam. And we're sinners in Adam. And we need a place of refuge. He has provided a place of refuge. And he alone is our refuge. You say, well, you have to accept. and They're adding, adding things to it. It's all of him and his mercy. And I want to go to Romans chapter 3. Uh, David and I would talk about that uh, a lot. But uh, some, again, don't feel need for a place of refuge. I'm above reproach. Or I'm doing the best I can. You hear both of those. I don't hear above reproach very often, actually. Not said that plain. But I do hear, well, you know, I believe you do the best you can. And I, as I've said before, I've never found in the scriptures one place where God accepts the best you can do. Accepts nothing less than perfection. So Romans chapter 3, certainly this will convince us that we need a place of refuge. In verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, no wise. For we have uh, before uh, proved, both Jews and Greeks, that they're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And again, you may say, well, no, wait a minute, but we're, I, I seek after God. Take the eye out of it. <laughs> You may seek out of God, but that's not you. you. We would not. Scripture tells us we would choose darkness rather than light. It's not. We would never. We would never seek God. Now, the fact may be we seek God, but it's him causing us to seek God. So that's where the honor and glory always goes all the way back to God. It never stops with us. So uh, this certainly tells us that we have a need for a place, a refuge. And our refuge is of God through Jesus Christ.
you remember in the Old Testament they uh, had the plague of the serpents. And they took the brazen serpent and put it up on a pole. And they look on that and they was healed uh, from this serpent and so forth. And the scripture tells us that, that Jesus Christ is to be lifted up as the serpent was in the wilderness. Uh, Romans chapter 4, while we're this close. Again, want us to be grounded in the fact that he only is our salvation. He only is our refuge. And we need a place of refuge, not we're above reproach. Uh, Romans 4 and, and verse 6. And don't we, find, don't we find comfort in this place of refuge? Again, I, I've talked to people before, and I mentioned this morning, I mentioned a lot. People that have been looked at and viewed and view themselves as a good Christian all their life. And they're getting ready to have a serious surgery that may be looked at as life-threatening. And they'll make the statement, I don't know if I've been good enough or not. The refuge is not in God, is it? The refuge in their self. I don't know if I, there's a lot of eyes there. I don't know if I've been good enough. So uh, Romans 4 and, and verse 6 find comfort here. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Boy, that's, that's uh, comforting. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. We know we have them. And whose sins are covered. We're sinners through Adam. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impart sin, or will not impute sin. He will not impute sin which we have and deserve. But he imputes righteousness apart from works which we would never have. So there is our refuge. There's our place of safety. There's our place of security. And uh, let's just go back to Isaiah 53. And Brother Olson would say the gospel of the Old Testament. We would all go to Isaiah 53. And, and many of you can quote uh, a lot of this. And I won't go far back into it. Uh, we know it's talking about Jesus Christ, of course. And we'll just go all the way to verse 10. So we're looking for our refuge, our safety. Isaiah 53 and 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He was satisfied. You know, we go, and I, I remember uh, many years ago uh, out in the little burg where I was raised, out at Waterloo, uh, Many people, what they had credit, they'd go to the grocery store, they'd go to the gas station, and, and uh, they just had credit, and the end of the month, a lot of them are older, get the Social Security checks, and they'd pay their bill. And I still remember, they'd add it up, and they'd pay them, and they usually had a red stamp, paid in full. And that's what we see here. In other words, the debt has been satisfied, paid in full, tear that page out, and the next day of the month, you start a new, a new page, as that would be, but... Paid in full. And that's what this is saying. He shall see the trail to veil of his soul and shall be satisfied. God's satisfied. Don't have to add anything to it. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is, uh, this is, is, is comforting that he bears our iniquities. This is our place of refuge. Uh, the scripture says that, that being fully persuaded 
that he, what he had promised, he was able to perform. So what God promised, he's able to perform. And he performed it through Jesus Christ. Now, I, uh, I kind of, well, I'm pretty critical myself, <laughs> but uh, as I go to pray at home, wherever, I always, in my mind, it wouldn't be an audible prayer that way, but I always go to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I, I skip through that and say that, but lately I've been backing up a little more. Yes, the blood of Christ, but look at that blood of Christ and how it was shed, the, the beatings and the whippings and, and, and the, the plucking out of his beard. And the plucking out of his beard was certainly painful, but that was saying, you're not a Nazarite, because the Nazarites, you know, the razor wasn't to touch their, their head at all. So he had long hair and he had a beard. So plucking out the beard wasn't just for a, a pain, which it would have been, of course, but you're not a man of God. You're not a Nazarite. The humiliation, the pain, the suffering, and on the cross and taking, as he took that cup, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. So as I go before the Father, I try to slow myself down a little bit through the blood of Christ. Yeah, but I try to slow myself down a little more. That's, without that, we could never go before an almighty God. Never go. And we've heard say we go boldly before the throne of grace, and we can in that manner through Jesus Christ and what he did, but through Jesus Christ who is our refuge sitting there making intercession for us. Uh, so he is my city of refuge. Uh, he has caused me to realize there's no safety outside of his refuge. So he has caused us to run to this place of safety and refuge. Now the scripture says, and again, there's more in, that, in our text, uh, and maybe we can have a Bible study on uh, some night. But said, he's safe there as long as the high priest is living. And I don't, I don't quite get all that, but let me make this statement. My high priest will never die. Now, what will happen, he will take off those priestly garments and be king of kings and lord of lords when he comes back. He comes back for his bride and so forth. But... In that city of refuge, it was until the, uh, uh, stay there until the death of the high priest. Now, I, David and Bill, I haven't quite uh, see how that fits in. Except our high priest will never die. We'll always have safety and refuge there. And uh, then we'll take, upon our death and so forth, and when he takes off the priestly garments, king of kings, lord of lords, then we'll move in and take our uh, possessions into the mansions that he has for us. So, uh, Paul trusted in, in uh, him for our refuge. He, uh, he said, I've suffered loss of everything that I may have Christ. You suffer the loss of your own glory own boasting when you have Christ. Don't mix. They, they don't mix. He only. Peter, uh, let, well, maybe we'll read that. We're going to close here. But Acts chapter 15, uh, we see certainly Peter uh, trusted in him and him alone. and, and uh, But we'll also see how this other uh, slips in so easily. Acts chapter 15, and, and this is where, and again, we're going to have to close, but this is where the, the first church at Jerusalem, and uh, you know what it was compromised of and so forth, and what, what made it up, but the first church at Jerusalem then would send out individuals to different churches, and different churches was organized and stuff like that. Well, here they'd sent men down to Antioch down here to preach to them. 
And uh, they didn't, well, verse 1, Acts 15, 1. This is what they said. And certain men who came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the matter of Moses, you can't be saved. So Paul and Barnabas, they had a discussion about this, and the church decided to send the commission up. Church of Antioch sent a commission up to Church of Jerusalem to, to, to find out about this, what's going on. So then we go to verse 5. And it says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they went down there to Church of Antioch, which I believe Paul certainly was instrumental there. And, and uh, so they had their teaching down there and if you know anything about the Apostle Paul and his teachings, which we do, we know they were teaching grace through Jesus Christ down there is what they were teaching. But you have these come down from the first church of Jerusalem, said, no, no, said, yeah, we believe in Jesus and everything, but you've got to keep the law and be circumcised to be saved. So verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So what well, do they? Are, you know, are they saved through Jesus Christ? They still have to keep... Moses and the law, what? To, so they had discussion on this. In verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knoweth the hearts, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did to us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, to these Pharisees, to those of the first church of Jerusalem that were saying this, you've got to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. Now, therefore, why put God to the test? To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. said... You're putting this yoke, the law of Moses and all this, you're putting this yoke upon the neck of the disciples. You can't carry that load. Our fathers couldn't carry that load. Yet you continue to put that burden on the, on the neck of the disciples. So Peter then, by God's grace, explained it this way. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they so where was Peter's refuge? What was his city of refuge? Jesus Christ. That was his city uh, of refuge. Oh, gosh, there's so much more we could talk about. But uh, how, how secure are this? Uh, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8, and we will, we, I promise we'll close here. But so that city of refuge, there was safety, there was security there. Your city of refuge, your, or your refuge, if you want to call it a city or not, but your refuge. How secure are you there? And, and again, you can go many, many places uh, for that. But, but the security in God through Jesus Christ, just how secure are we there? And, of course, we could go to Hebrew that he's able to save to the uttermost. I love that scripture. But I'm going to Romans here, chapter 8, and verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Think on that for a moment. If God be for us, if God elected you before the foundation of the world... Who can be against us? You say, well, we've got Satan out there. And yes, we do. Satan is real. He is out there. He's a tool used of God. And he will perform exactly what God wants him to perform. But I'm asking the question, well, I'm reading the question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Doesn't that give you security at this place of refuge? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God justify us? You remember? He gave his son. We read it there. He gave his son, and his son paid the price, and he was satisfied. So he's not going to lay anything to the charge. Who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God? He gave his son. 
Who is he that condemneth? Shall Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? So is Jesus Christ going to condemn? No, see, this is that place of refuge. Neither God nor Jesus Christ will condemn. It says he's uh, at the right hand of God making intercession for us. I told you I heard at a uh, funeral recently that the uh, one officiating the funeral said that uh, each one of you are intercessors. And, and, and that was bad enough. But then he said, when you die and you go to heaven, you're intercessing for those of us here on the earth. So, uh, very sad words. Verse uh, uh, 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, this is that place of refuge. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or pearl, or sword? And then skip down to verse 38, we're out of time. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I think this covers everything. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life can separate you. Angels, principalities can't separate you. Powers can't separate you. Things present or things to come, that covers about everything can separate you. Height, nor depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a place of refuge and it is secure. And let me just say this, I've said it many times too, but I heard a man on television preaching on this and he was going verse by verse down through here in this Romans uh, chapter uh, 8. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It's Usually I just pass through the channel, but boy, I stood and just kind of going right down the line. You know, who can separate you and so forth and so on. Nothing can separate you, not life or death, principalities, powers, all the way. And he took a little time on each verse. And then when he got down to M, he says, so what can separate? He said, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ except you. And the Bible doesn't say that. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We're dismissed. <laughs>